An estimated 8 to 18 percent of individuals with Down syndrome may also have autism. William Ricks has both, as well as apraxia, a motor speech disorder that makes it difficult for him to speak. To her son William, Lindsay Ricks once wrote, You have taught me not to give up. To offer smiles even during the hardest of times. You have taught me compassion, love, and patience. You have turned my life upside down and inside out and forced me out of my comfort zone. Originally from Richmond, Virginia, Lindsay Ricks graduated from Brigham Young University in public relations and business. She served a mission in Santiago, Chile, before working as an event planner in Washington, D.C. Lindsay and her husband, Dan, reside in Oakton, Virginia, and are the parents of four children, three boys and one girl. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Jones, and I am so honored to have my friend Lindsay Ricks here with me today. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you. Well, I have to, before we start, I have to tell people I have known Lindsay since I was a little girl and I've always looked up to you. Even before you had William, which is what we're going to be talking about today, I've admired you and looked up to you. And so I'm just so excited to introduce people to you. Thank you so much. It's good to be here. I kind of feel like a mule at the Kentucky Derby, considering (laughs) all of the incredible people that have been on this podcast so far, like Sherry Dew and... And Ann Romney, but it's good to be here. You are not a mule, first of all. <laughs> Let's get that out of the way. But I want I want people to know, so as we kind of get going in this conversation, you have how many kids? I have four children. And so it's three boys, one girl, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And William is your second. Right. And William was born with several different special needs. Can you give us a brief synopsis of kind of the last seven years that you've had with William and your family? Yeah. So it really, the story does start about seven years ago when my husband and I were excited to welcome a second child into our family. I was 20 weeks pregnant and we went in for our level two ultrasound, which is where the doctors measure every part of the baby's body at least as much as they can. And we were just excited to find out what the gender of the baby was. I think a good word to describe my state of being was naive. I just, things have always gone easy in my life and according to schedule. And um, at that appointment, we found out that our son had a hole in his heart and it would require open heart surgery soon after birth. And they said that this type of heart defect was very common in babies with Down syndrome. And had we done any screening? And we hadn't because... The screenings were not accurate at that time. Things have changed a lot since then. But even a, a sister-in-law got a false positive. And so we just didn't want to do any screening because we weren't we were going to keep the baby regardless. But since there was a really high probability that this baby had Down syndrome, I just I'm a planner and I like to know everything that I can beforehand. And so we did an amniocentesis, which was hundred percent accurate and It's when, I don't know if people know what it is, it's when they go in and they extract amniotic fluid out of your stomach and the baby's DNA is in there. And they found found out that he had Down syndrome and told us about a week later. And so it was, it's just been an interesting experience to say the least, very colorful since then. He was born 20 weeks later, I was full term, but the 
the problem started immediately and everything was just crazy. I mean, I don't even have the words to like describe it. I know many people have been in my shoes and it's hard to adequately articulate exactly your feelings and what's going on. But he was in and out of the hospital for the better part of a year. And his second year of life was probably my favorite. He was just healthy and he was happy. His first birthday was just a celebration of life. We couldn't believe that he made it through. And then a couple years later, we found out that he had autism. He was diagnosed with autism. His preschool teachers came up to me and said, you know, we we love having William in our classroom. It was in the public school, but we just don't have the resources and the hands to really help him and do what he needs. We think that he would do better in an autism classroom. And I remember saying to her, autism? Like, my son has Down syndrome. He doesn't have autism. And they said, you know, we don't, we don't know, but we just think that the methodology and how we teach the kids with autism would better suit William. Hmm. And so we said, okay, again, I just, I wanted to know, regardless of what classroom he was in, I wanted to know, well, does he or doesn't he? And we had, we got a diagnosis a couple months later that he also had autism and and apraxia, which is just another delay in motor planning. And so he's got a very colorful life, like I said. And I think it was hard because I don't know anybody that has a son or a child with all of these things. And so it's been, it's been really good experience for me. Yeah. So Lindsay, as you've dealt with this, you've had a lot of unexpected experiences. And so what have you learned over this process about dealing with the unexpected? Well, when I first found out about William, there were two big things that happened that helped me deal with this bombshell that was just thrown in my lap. And, you know, my first gut reaction to when I found out about William was, I've done something wrong. And maybe I forgot to take my prenatal vitamins, or maybe I didn't eat enough fruits and vegetables, or I didn't exercise as much, or I exercised too much. And then I start thinking about what about my husband? And now what is he going to think? And I feel bad because I didn't, I don't think he thought that I was going to give him a child with special needs. And how is that going to work out? And how's my family going to handle it? And I knew my family would handle it well, but I think up until that point, I had been known in our community and areas, you know, Lindsay Ricks, she was, well, they would have said then she was the Mormon girl, but now they would say she's the member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But I think now, and I realized this then, that if people were talking about me in a circle and they said, oh, you know, do you know Lindsay Ricks? No, I don't know. I don't know who she is. Oh, she's the one, you know, she's got the child with Down syndrome. Oh, I know who she is. Like, I think that that's how people would know me. It was just kind of a, a new identity. And so I just, I didn't know what to do with that. And so that that part of the unexpected was just, it was, it was really hard. It was this mixed bag of emotions. And then on top of that, I just, I was so devastated And then I just thought, you know, my baby can hear me. He can hear, and I don't know where his spirit is, but if he's aware that I'm, like, devastated at him coming into our family, it was, like, adding insult to injury. And so, like, how do you you deal with that? And I have an aunt that called me and said, Lindsay, I was in sacrament meeting, and I had this little vision of— 
of you and and William that I wanted to share with you. And she said, I, I kind of had this glimpse into the pre-mortal life, and I feel like you knew William and you wanted him in your family and you called dibs on him and you told everybody to back off that he was yours. And when she said that, tears, I mean, I still get emotional thinking about it. Tears just welled up into my eyes and I just felt like I chose this. This is not Heavenly Father doing something, you know, to hurt me. This is, this was a choice. And I, I feel like I did do that. I feel like I would do it now. You know, everybody, he is mine, back off. He's coming to my family. That's just my personality. And so when I understood there, there's a plan to this, there was a purpose. I wouldn't have just wanted him willy nilly into my family. Like I knew I'm a, I was an event planner before I started having children. And I knew that this was integral into part of my plan. And so that was, that was a big thing for me is knowing I wanted this. So every time things have gotten hard and difficult and the unexpected have happened, I've just thought, you know, I chose this and I wanted this for a reason. I think I love that quote from Sister Hinckley that talks about how she doesn't want to drive up to heaven with her hair, you know, perfectly done and her nails all done. Like she wants to drive up with peanut butter, like on her skirt and kisses on her cheeks and dirt under her fingernails from like helping the neighbor garden. And she wants the Lord to know that she really lived. And so I think that I am the same way. I don't think I I wanted a life living in the Garden of Eden where things were just easy. I think that I wanted to get my hands dirty. And so I think that that was that was a turning point in my life. But then the other part is in Alma 29, I remember reading it. And in the first nine verses, it talks about this transformation that Alma has. He first starts out with saying, oh, that I were an angel and could have the wish of mine heart. And he wanted something that he wasn't. He wanted to have a voice as a trump and declared a repentance. But then he says in a couple of verses later, but I am a man and I sin in my wish and I should be content with the things which the Lord hath allotted me. And I've, I think I felt the same way. I mean, I'm definitely not perfect. I have really bad days, but I think that I need to be content with the things that the Lord has allotted me because there's, there's a purpose in it. And then a couple of verses later, he says, I'm in a glory in what the Lord has given me. And he gives me according to my desires. And so for me, I think that I desired William. And he gives us according to our desires. But he said, you know, I, I glory in what I have. And so in these short nine verses, you see this transformation of him wishing he had a different life, but then being okay with what he was allotted and then somehow— finding so much joy in what he's been given. And so I think I'm learning to make lemonade out of lemons. And I think that that's the trick of it. And I think that our Heavenly Father is so loving. The experiences and trials that we're dealt with, they are tailor-made and customed to bring us the most happiness and joy. And so I think for me that that's helped each time I've encountered something crazy, you know, and I have three other kids and trying to manage all that they have. But it's like I said, it's, it's really good for me. And I'm finding so much joy in, in what I do. Yeah. 
There are so many things that you said that just, I think, teach important principles. The first being when you talked about, you know, questioning, what did I do wrong? It reminds me of that story in the scriptures where the parents of the blind man say, you know, who hath sinned here as parents. And I think it's so important to recognize that these are things that it's not the result of something having gone wrong. It's the result of something having gone right, that God's plan is being made manifest through this. So I think that's a beautiful thing that you taught. I love the idea of seeing this change over time in in Alma. I wonder, Lindsay, as you've kind of gone through this, how has your relationship with God and kind of your prayers changed over time? I think that my my prayers are still evolving, if I'm honest. I think that my prayers are more constant than they are just, you know, it's once in the morning, a couple times over food, and once at night. I I think sometimes people make fun of me. I, I'm really into this show called Madam Secretary right now. It's a political drama. <laughs> and um, usually when there's like some crazy thing that's happened in the world, it's like, you know, report to the situation room. And so she's supposed to go to the situation. And so I, in my prayers throughout the day, I feel like I'm always dealing with an issue, a fire that needs to be put out. I have a son that's, you know, got some medical concerns that I'm having to, like, it's always something. And so I picture myself, not as if I was Madam Secretary, I'm the President of the United States. <laughs> And I have this table of of professionals, and re- whatever the situation is, um, I have certain people around my table. And so, if it's something about William and his his medical issue, I have his doctors, you know, sitting there, and I have them in my mind giving me reports. But I always have the Spirit and Heavenly Father have a seat, and I always have Elder Bednar have a seat because he's my favorite. <laughs> And I just play in my mind, you know, what would what counsel would they give me about this situation? And so I, I mull it over and I try to look at all of the aspects and I do it with a this prayer in my heart as Heavenly Father, help me sift through this, help me understand what I should do. You know, if if Elder Bednar were here right now, what would he tell me to do? If my mother were here, if my husband were here, like what would they share with me? And so I think that my prayer has, it's an all day thing. I know that sounds bizarre, but I, I'm just, my life is so crazy. I mean, my husband and I, we joke, we feel like we run a McDonald's franchise. We've got <laughs> three kids in diapers and we're flipping hamburgers and we're trying to have fun while we sometimes feel like the whole place is burning down. But I feel like I need that sustaining help, not only to problem solve, but to kind of, I need that grace to help me do what I need to do every day. Otherwise, it, otherwise it would just weigh me down. Yeah. I love that analogy, the Madam Secretary analogy. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of people who are listening I think there's probably two different camps. One, people that have had close experiences with parenting a special needs child or loving someone who has special needs. On the other hand, I think that you have people that want to be of support to those people, but don't have any idea what it's like. And so I kind of want to talk to both groups. Mm -hmm. So first of all, Lindsay, what for those who have never had this experience, what 
are some things that people might not even think of that a family going through this faces? You know, I read an article not too long ago that said that they they did a research study on um, moms of kids with autism and combat soldiers, and they found that the hormone and stress levels of combat soldiers are equal to those of mothers that have kids with autism. And I mean, the thing is, is nobody really understands unless you're in it. Like, I have such a supporting family and wonderful community, but it, it's just unless you live it, it's it's hard to adequately like articulate exactly what it is. But it's it's nonstop. I mean, the hardest part with William is is he would he would just scream nonstop, and there's only like so much screaming that you can handle. And what were the screamings for? Was he in pain? Probably. Was he frustrated because he couldn't talk? Probably. Was there something else, you know, I told him no, that he couldn't have his iPad? Probably. I mean, there's so many things, but it was just, you know, nonstop. I couldn't change his diaper easily. He would freak out getting in and out of the bathtub. And my husband and I, we would joke, I don't know if those of, maybe I shouldn't say this, people that have seen the show Dumb and Dumber and how like, <laughs> Lloyd and Harry were talking about the most annoying sound in the world. And it would, you know, they just started screaming. And that was like the most annoying sound. And that's to be able to keep your sanity when it's constant screaming is is hard. And then yeah. being able to keep your sanity and and be able to give something to your other children and your husband and your community is is really hard. And and it's the screaming was hard, but with William, it's he's a wanderer, and the special needs term is eloping, which I'm like, at first when I heard it, I'm like, what, is someone getting married? It, no one's getting married. It's just the special needs term for when they leave the house or they leave a certain area and they just take off. And William, that's his favorite thing to do. And it is so scary. And I remember this one time I was down in the basement with our son, Cooper, and I usually can hear William somewhere in the house, and I couldn't hear him for a little bit. And so I said, Cooper, will you run upstairs and go find William and just make sure he's okay? And so he ran upstairs, and then he came downstairs. He's like, Mom, bro. We call him bro because when he (laughs) came home from the hospital, Cooper couldn't say William, so he called him bro, and it just stuck. And he said, bro is screaming. And so I leapt out of my chair, ran upstairs, and William had gotten into the garage, and he had opened up my minivan door and started playing with the buttons, but he had gotten his whole hand stuck in the door. And he was, I mean, the screaming that I heard from him was awful. Yeah. Devastating. And I was sure that he had broken every single bone in his hand but I think he walks with angels, and I think he was protected. He didn't even have a bruise from it. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's it's nonstop with having a child with special needs. But on the flip side, I think that our victories look different than most people's. I think that our lows are lower and our highs are higher for sure. I've loved following along over social media with kind of this journey that your family has been on, seeing things like the whole thing with the school bus and how it took, like you had to work to get a school bus to come pick him up. Oh my gosh, that's such a long story. And I won't, I won't bore people with it, but this bus stop issue, I mean, 
parting the Red Sea would have been <laughs> no more miraculous than the fact that the Lord helped me change his bus stop. But then just changing the bus stop was one part, but like getting him on the bus was, yeah. is so hard. And the meltdowns, and I couldn't get him down the driveway, and we couldn't get him up the stairs on the bus. And so for Fairfax County, you can't carry a child up the stairs because there's a liability. So we had he had a lift that he had to go up. And then he got so excited about the lift that we couldn't get him off of the lift. And <laughs> It's just been one thing after another, but this year we got him on the big boy bus and he's riding to school with our oldest son, Cooper, and seeing him get on the bus every day and just, just like it's no big deal, I look out of the window and I watch him and I just, I get so, I'm filled with so much joy and love for him that, that he's done something like that. And that was that was a huge thing for us. That wasn't a small thing. That was huge. Brushing teeth is huge. It's taken us years to do that. Getting his hair cut. I mean, we he gets um, ABA therapy for because he has this autism, and ABA is applied behavioral analysis or something. But it's a conditioning that we do that we you know if we're trying to get him if we want to get his hair cut we first desensitize him to just looking at scissors, having him be okay with just having scissors in the room without him having a meltdown. And then once he does that, or you practice it, you let him, you let him see scissors for like 10 seconds, and then you give him a goldfish because that's his like favorite food in the world. (laughs) And then you show him the scissors again, and then you give him a goldfish. And so you kind of pair this rewards system with it. And then the more comfortable he gets and the less meltdowns he has, then you start clipping the scissors just so he can hear it. And you have to desensitize him to the sound of that. And so this all takes months and years. And it's still a workout when we get his haircut. But he, first of all, he looks adorable every time he gets his haircut. And second of all, he's getting there. Yeah. He's, he's getting there. And so, yeah, our victories look very different. But I don't know. The joys are also... I just want to squeeze him and scream and tell everybody how proud I am of him. It's just, it's different. Well, I think when you were talking about him getting on the school bus, I, there's something about interviewing parents I really enjoy, but I think the thing that I enjoy about it is thinking about us. I don't have kids. And so I always think about how we must look to Heavenly Father. And so thinking about Heavenly Father being like, I'm just so proud that they did this. And this was a hard thing for them. And so I think that that's really, really beautiful. Another thing that I've loved seeing on your social media is the service dog. So William just got a service dog and you are learning how to train this dog. And yes, (laughs) And how is it? It's, it's, you know what? It's a miracle. It, we, we had a, our fourth little girl, um, our fourth child in January. And we were literally and not literally, but spiritually, we felt struck by lightning to have this child because we had a full plate already and we didn't feel like we could handle another child. But the Lord made it very clear that there was another child for us. And so we took a leap of faith. This dog there was the same amount of spiritual lightning that hit us because I'm not a dog person. I never have been. And 
it looks like, it felt like just one more thing that I had to keep alive. And I kept suppressing it, but there were a series of experiences that happened and the stars were aligned. And it was very clear to me that this dog was meant for William. And so we we found her and she's still at this at this place that they train dogs. But yeah, she's, we hopefully will get her uh, before Christmas. She's still being trained and he goes every day and he tries to bond with the dog and he throws the ball and he gives her treats. And we hope that this dog will really be a a buddy for William. William requires one-on-one attention throughout the whole day. We have to zip him and lock him in a little tent when he sleeps at night. And so he has to have one-on-one attention. And if he doesn't, he really struggles. And so I think that this dog will help him with that. The dog will be able to block him if he's walking out somewhere or wandering and we don't want him to go. Like, I'll be able to say block and the dog will get in front of him and prevent him from walking or she'll try and sit on him or whatever. She'll be in charge of William's talker, which he has a communication device. He's nonverbal. But he says, Mama, Dada, and he, Lala is the name of the dog because he can say Lala. But he can communicate in full sentences on his communication device. Wow. And so he, this dog is going to be in charge of, of keeping that with him. And, you know, I can't think of a greater gift than to give a child a voice. Um, he can't go up and down the stairs holding the talker we call the talker. And so to have a dog just be in charge of that for him is going to be like such a gift. Yeah. So one thing that I've like appreciated about this is just that it, it they are things that I never would have thought about. And so having never experienced this myself, I just always think, oh, that's something I never would have considered. And all of those things that you just were talking about, <laughs> like getting his hair cut, I never would have thought of those things. So then for someone, Lindsay, that, does have a child with special needs. And let's say like there's someone that's just, they've just had this baby and the baby has special needs and they're dealing with all those emotions that you talked about earlier. What would be kind of your advice to someone in that situation? My advice, it's it's kind of a President Hinckley advice. You know, he says every new convert should have a friend, a job, and are calling and to be nurtured by the good word of God. And I think that everybody that is in this situation, they need a friend. They don't have to be someone with the same special needs or special needs at all. It could be their husband. It could be somebody. But you need a friend. You need a, a calling and not necessarily a calling in the ward, which it could be, but a, a project or something that gets you out of the the day-to-day rigors of of just the stress and the all-consuming issues that you have. It's nice to kind of come up for air and have a, a productive distraction. And then the nurturing of the good word of God is the most important. My text was the Book of Mormon, and I feel like the Book of Mormon helped me navigate the special needs world more than any other book. And it's because it's brought me closer to Heavenly Father. And everyone's situation is so different. And so you can't, you have to get it from the source. You have to get the answers from the source. I think for me and understanding the atonement, you know, it, it's it's so comforting to know that the Savior has felt what I feel, especially since I don't know anybody else in my situation. 
But I think the power that comes from knowing that he felt what I feel and he paid for all of that is that he also was healed from it. And so he knows perfectly the steps to take to be able to be healed. And so that has kind of created this magnetic like force that I feel towards the Savior in wanting to know what, how, how do I get through this? How, how can I find contentment in the things that have been allotted to me? Because he knows. And so understanding that has been probably the greatest gift that I've received is, is being able to need the Savior more than I ever have before. Lindsay, how has William blessed you and your family? And why do you think that children with special needs are a blessing? So it goes back to what you were talking about in John 9, how the disciples came to Jesus and they saw this blind man and they said, you know, who sinned, this this man or his parents? And, and Jesus says, neither. But the part that I love is he's blind so that the works of God can be made manifest. And so I just think, how cool is it that I get to be part of that in these latter days to show the world, you know, that that he— there's so many wonderful things about him. So how William has blessed me, and this is kind of a different description, and so kind of bear with me, but the lows have been lower and the highs have been higher. And this whole aspect of opposition has been in full force. And we were, my husband and I, we were in Puerto Rico last week celebrating our 10th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. Thank you. We made it. (laughs) Um, And he has been such a wonderful, I mean, I couldn't have done all this without him too. But in Northern Virginia, it's been so hot in September. And so when we were in Puerto Rico, it was hot too. And I thought, oh my gosh, it's so, like I couldn't enjoy the heat because I had just come from heat. But I know that when spring comes, I am so ready to be so hot. And there's something to be said about being able to enjoy life because of opposition. And I think my food tastes so much better after I've been fasting. And seeing William get on the bus is so much more rewarding and joyful because I've seen how hard it has been. When we brought our first son, Cooper, home from the hospital, he was healthy and he just came home. And I took it for granted. And when we had William, I remember seeing all of these families take these perfectly healthy babies home. And I just thought, they have no idea how good they have it. And then in a weird way, I, I'm grateful for that because with our third and fourth child, my joy has been so full and being able to bring home these these healthy children. Elder Maxwell said, The cavity which suffering carves into our souls will one day also be the receptacle of joy. How infinitely greater Jesus' capacity for joy when he said after his resurrection, Behold, my joy is full. How very, very full indeed his joy must have been. And so I think that it's this whole opposition and Adam fell that men might be and men are that they might have joy. These these issues and struggles that I've had, they've in a totally roundabout, weird way have brought me so much more joy because I appreciate 
so much more. If, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I had no. this, I had this lady um, one Saturday. My husband and I we took our kids to this gym that kind of um, it's specific for kids that have autism. And there's this like banner on the side of the wall that said something like, "This is a place where you can have fun and you never have to apologize for being who you are." And there was this mom there with a son who had autism, and I was there with our brand new baby. I mean, I, she was four months old. And the son came up and just scratched Caroline in her face, and she started crying. And I remember seeing this mother, and she just lost it, and she was devastated, and she just felt so bad that her son had just done this to Caroline. And I sat there, and I just— started crying and I got up and I gave this woman a hug and I said, I am so glad that your son just scratched my daughter's <laughs> face because I've been there and I I know what you're going, like my, my capacity to have compassion has increased a hundredfold. And so why am I not grateful for the things which the Lord hath allotted me? It's It's brought me so much more purpose, meaning and fulfillment and joy in my life. That's powerful. I thank you for sharing that. I think that example is so, so valuable because we can all think about, you know, how we would react in that situation. And when you haven't been the mother on the other side, maybe you react very differently. But I think that that's such a great example. I loved something that you wrote previously. You said, I'd come to church and hear speakers or teachers tell stories when they received the answer that they'd prayed for, and that miraculously they received their answer. Yet I wondered what those speakers would say had they not received the answer they prayed for. What then? Would they still acknowledge their prayer was answered? And you kind of talked about how you've learned things about prayers being answered and maybe not in the way that we thought, but what have you learned overall? We kind of started this conversation talking a a little bit about prayer. And so I'm curious about what you've learned about prayer and miracles as you've gone through all of this. Um, I've learned that the Lord is very aware of us. Um, I know that I know that God knows and has numbered every hair on my head, and He has numbered the sands of the sea, and there isn't a sparrow that falls from the sky that He doesn't know it. And and so my prayers have become more meaningful because I I need Him, and I and I know that I literally—I mean, man is nothing without without Him. I can't I can't do anything. And how have my prayers evolved? I, I'm not sure. I mean, I told you about like the situation room and how I get into that, but how do I justify um, when my prayers aren't answered? I think I, I analyze the situation that I'm going through if I feel like I haven't received an answer. That quote that you read is from something that I wrote, and I was talking about my son, William. He was he had a he was having a heart failure and i was having to run him to the hospital and i had there was a fork in the road and i had to choose which way to go and i chose one way and it turned to be awful and he was screaming in the back of the car and i literally thought he was going to die and i remember thinking at that point like why why wasn't my 
prayer answered. Like, why did I take the wrong route? And then going to the, I turned around and then went a different way. And of course there was every light turned red and every, everything happened to just to take, make it take longer for me to get there. I remember trying to pull into the garage and the, the parking teller was taking his time. And then the car in front of him didn't have any money. And it was just, it was just one thing after another. And so when I looked back and I think, well, why didn't Heavenly, like, why didn't I feel him close by? I think that those times is when I double down and I say to myself, okay, I'm, I need to learn something here. Because if I know that he knows me and every hair in my head and every, and has felt everything that I have felt, there's a reason why I don't feel that answer right now. And so I, I double down and I search and I study and I try and figure it out. And looking back on that, the things that I have learned from that experience have shifted my life and my testimony and my alignment with the Lord in a way that I never thought would have been possible otherwise. I learned about submitting my will to His and that His will is always the best and His timing is always perfect. You mentioned earlier that you love Elder Bednar. I also love (laughs) Elder Bednar. And you have written some about this talk by Elder Bednar that we might not shrink. And I love the example that he gives in that talk, kind of the, do you have faith not to be healed? And so many times we have these things where we're praying for miracles. We want the result that we want. And oftentimes it actually doesn't work out the way that we thought. And the question is, how do we respond in light of that? How have you felt the atonement strengthening and empowering you as William's mom, maybe to do things that you didn't think you were even capable of doing? I love that you mentioned earlier with the service dog that you're not a dog person. I'm not a dog person. (laughs) And when I watched your video, I was like, I bet she's not a dog person. I'm not a dog person. (laughs) But I admired so much that here you were doing this thing with this service dog that's out of your comfort zone. Because I would be the same, which is crazy. Yes. Yeah. So how have you seen the atonement giving you abilities to do things that you didn't think maybe seven years ago that you were capable of doing? Absolutely. It's it's the merits, mercy, and grace of the Lord. It's merits, meaning it's His character, and coming to understand that He will help me. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He loves me. And so in those times— that I need him, I know that I can count on him. My my confidence in myself has strengthened because my confidence in him has strengthened. William had a, a feeding tube the first three and a half years of his life, and I had to place a feeding tube over and over again, both an NG tube and a G tube, and it was awful. And I, I mean, I had to have so much faith in the Lord that, A, He knew how to guide me and that He he wasn't a respecter of persons, that He wasn't just hanging out with President Hinckley in heaven, but that my inability to place a feeding tube was important enough for Him that He could give me the grace and the enabling power to be able to do that. And then the mercy side of Him is knowing that I'm not perfect and i make so many mistakes and knowing that 
the Lord has always had imperfect people to accomplish His purposes and that His mercy is extended to me to cut me some slack has been so empowering. I think my confidence in myself, like I said, has strengthened, but as I've come to understand who He is, I've come to understand who I am and who I've always been and how I've been prepared and trained and schooled for this moment my whole life. And and I think with His help, I will glory in it, and I will do the best that I can to to live His His will and do what He wants me to do. Thank you. That reminded me, there's a talk that I love. It's a BYU-Idaho devotional, and it was given by Brother Douglas Holmes, who's in the Young Men General Presidency, and it's called God Confidence. And he talks about how nowhere in the scriptures does it talk about self-confidence, and that's something that we teach in our culture over and over and over again in the world today. Self-confidence, self-confidence. And he talks about how what we really need is God confidence, and that when we come to know God, like you have come to know Him, then that's where our confidence comes from. So our confidence is not placed in ourselves, but it's placed in God. And when we understand who He is, then we understand who we are. And I think that's just so incredibly powerful. In conclusion— I think I wanted to share one other other thing before we get to the last comment, and that is, what do I love most about having a child with special needs— The thing that I love most is his ability to pull out people's gifts. And whether he is having a meltdown in the store and people stop and they try to help me and I see this side of compassion that strangers are offering to me, or when he's getting on the bus, like the kids, you know, at the bus stop all get onto the bus without a problem. But when William gets up, gets on, the bus driver lights up and he gets so excited. And I know that William brings out the best part in this bus driver. And granted, he pulls out the best and the worst of me. But I think that that's where my tutoring is coming from is is he's helping me see what I do well and he's helping me see what what I need to work on. But he's got a, a special buddy at church who's assigned just to him. And seeing seeing this guy, um, his name's Aaron Walker, shout out to him, <laughs> with William is just, I mean, it's unbelievable. So I get to I get to watch William bring out the gifts that everybody has. And it's just overwhelmingly incredible. That is so cool. I think that's that's such a beautiful thought. As we wrap up, I just thank you for sharing all of your experiences. I hope that this has been as valuable to other people as it's been for me, but I just think that our experiences are meant to be shared and that we have so much to gain from hearing the experiences of other people. So thank you. Lindsay, what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? For me, what it means to be all in is to drink the bitter cup without becoming bitter and becoming better. Looking at these bitter cup experiences with more purpose instead of why me? It's 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 doing hard things with a smile on our face and 
it's not just enduring, but enduring well. Thank you so much. Yes, thanks so much. We are so grateful to Lindsay Ricks for coming on today's show. You can learn more about Lindsay and her family in today's show notes. A big thank you to Derek Campbell of Mix at Six Studios for his assistance in creating an enjoyable audio file for you to listen to. And as always, thank you for listening. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcast and know that we read and appreciate each and every one. We'll look forward to being with you again next week week.